we are continuing our series of messages as we preach through the book of Hebrews. Now, we're not doing a verse-by-verse verse study, and so there are times we're jumping. Today, we're jumping just a little bit. Today, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6. So, Hebrews chapter 6. So, what I want you to do is turn to Genesis chapter 12. I know that's really confusing, uh, but, uh, but the reason is because uh, you, we, we can't understand Hebrews 6 until we get Genesis chapter 12 through 22 down. And we're not reading all 10, 11 chapters of Genesis, but we've got to fly through that and then we'll get to Hebrews 6. Very, very early, and I mean, I mean very early in the history of man, God finds a man and he makes a huge promise to him. And it's very early in, 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 in the, the, world's, the history of the world. God creates the entire universe and you know the story, Adam and Eve, they mess it all up. They absolutely blow it. And their offspring fill the earth. And they are so deplorable that God regrets even making mankind. And then right after that, as a result of that, what happens is the, what we've turned into a children's story uh, where God kills everyone <laughs> with Noah. It's like, I don't know why we start decorating nurseries with that. You know, this is when God killed everybody on earth. Sleep tight. You know, I've just always been confused about that. But, but anyway, um, uh, it, it, God sends uh, Noah and his family into the ark and he destroys the earth, kills everybody in, on the earth except for those that are in the ark. They come out of the ark and they begin to inhabit the earth and fill the earth again. They, they settle in, in one place. And you remember they say to themselves, uh, probably as a result of the flood, they're thinking to themselves, hey, you know, let's build a tower. Let's build a tower, a monument to our greatness. And not only that, if the flood ever comes again, we can, we can be up above the water. You know, I'm, I'm sure this is what's in their mind. But, but they, they're thinking, let's make a name for ourselves and build this tower, a monument to ourselves. And then God becomes angry at the arrogance of man. And in that moment, at what, what is known as the Tower of Babel, he changes the languages of mankind and disperses them throughout the earth. Now, after the Tower of Babel, very early in history, God finds a man named Abram, and he asks him to follow him. And that's where we're going to pick it up. So let's look at Genesis chapter 12, beginning in, in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now I want to pause because that doesn't sound like such a big deal to us. You know, when you're talking about some, some guy and say, hey, leave your father's house, leave the people you know, leave all your relatives. And, and because today in our culture, a lot of us do that. I mean, people go off to college halfway around the country, thousands of miles away. And so it's, it's really not a big deal in our culture to leave your father's house and just head out and, and do your own thing. But in this time period, it was almost suicide. Because there, there are no you know, laws to protect you. There's no one to whom you can appeal. There's no 911 you can call in an emergency. The world at that time is a very dangerous, very pagan, very dark place. And, and for God to say to Abraham, leave the safety of your numbers. Leave the wealth of your father. Leave all that you know. And, and, and I want you just to go. And then he says, I'm not even going to tell you where to go. I'm just going to tell you to head towards Canaan. And stop when I tell you to stop. And so God comes and he says, all right, Abram, let's go. Let's get moving. And, and look at the covenant that God makes with him, starting in verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, 
I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, all right, so here's the covenant that God made with Abram. God says, I'm going to bless the entire earth through your, your offspring, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to step out in faith. I, I want you to believe in me. I want you to trust in me, and I want you just to head in that direction. And, and Abram's like, what land am I going to go to? And God says, you just head that direction, and, 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 I'll, and I'll tell you where to stop when you get there. I'm not telling you where you're going. So let's look at what Abram does in verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and, and Lot with him. Abram was, now this is important, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So, so God says, I'm going to bless the entire earth through your offspring, so follow me, let's go. And Abram packs up all of his stuff and heads out. Now flip over to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verse 2. This is what it says. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So here's what's happening here. Abram, actually in verse 1, God comes to Abram again and speaks to him. But Abram engages God in return, and he says, You told me before we ever left my father's house, before we left my home country, you told me that you were going to bless the entire earth through my offspring. But there's a problem here, God. I don't have any kids. And so at this moment in time, he says, the heir of all that I have is like my second cousin, Eleazar, in the backwoods of Damascus. And I don't even like him. And, and, and this is how things are going to go down. Is this how you're going to do it, God? I mean, are you going to work this thing through my mom's second cousin's brother's son? That's how you're going to do this? He, he's saying to God in that moment, he's saying, I don't get it. I, I know you made this promise to me. I know that you made this covenant with me, but I don't have a son. How? Are, are you going to do it through this guy in Damascus? Okay, God's going to answer verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man, talking about Eleazar, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So then God comes to him and says, says to Abram, no, 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 no. I, the covenant I made with you. I am going to keep. It, and it is not going to be through your cousin in Damascus. You will have a son. All right, now flip over to Genesis 17. A couple more chapters over. Verse number one, I want you to see this. When Abram was 99 years old, you remember how old he was when he first heard the promise? 75 years old. So now he's 99 years old. So from the moment that he's been given this promise that he's going to have a son until now, it has been, if my math is right, 24 years. Right? God makes a promise and 24 years later, nothing. 
All right, so let's keep reading. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. All right, so after at 99 years of age, God reiterates the covenant that he'd already given to Abram. But, in, but as, he re, re, as he reiterates the covenant, sometimes you just got to do a, a reboot. As he reiter, reiterates, I'm going to just change the word. As he re-says this, the covenant, as he, as he says it to him again, as he can, reconfirms the covenant, the problem is, what are we missing? A son. We still don't have a son. And maybe you're sitting there going, well, you know, sure, maybe he's 99, but maybe, maybe his girl's like 21, you know, so that's not a big deal. I mean, he is rich after all. Maybe he's got himself, you know, a girl there. Well, let's go, let's go look on and read what happens. Verse 15. And God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and more, moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and what? He laughed. I mean, to Abraham, this is almost getting comical. All right, 24 years. I've heard this promise. This is getting kind of funny, God. I mean, really? I mean, it's bad enough for me, but Sarah, she's, she's 90 years old. She's going to have a baby? That's kind of funny. Let's keep reading. And, and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 year old, years old, bear a child? And, and, and listen, I've heard some people, a lot of commentators, you know, the, the teaching on this, and, and they want to make the age here a non-issue they want to go well people lived longer back in those days so being 99 was not that big of a deal for childbearing but i've got a real problem with that and here's the problem the problem is that the text over and over and over again wants you to understand that they're old right and, and that and that wants you to understand that what's happening here is not normal an adjective or a sentence is added to how old they are every time we come to a new text. So it's, it's almost like the starts off and says they're old. And then the next time you read it, it's like they're really old. And the next time it says they're they are absolutely really old, you know. And so although I've heard a lot of people uh, say, well, that people lived longer back then, the text itself here is saying, nah, they're old. They're, they're old. In fact, look at chapter 18 with me in Genesis 18, 9. The Lord begins to speak to Abraham again. This is when the three people appear before he destroys Sodom, not Sodom, uh, but yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, saves Lot. And, uh, and, and, the, and one of those people is the incarnate Christ and it's God speaking to him. And this is what, it hap what is, happens in verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. 
Now, Abram and Sarah were what? Old. And then if that's as if that's not strong enough description, they add an exclamation mark, advanced in years. You know, so just in case you don't get what I mean by old, I mean they are advanced in years. So it is absolutely apparent in the text that this is going, this is well beyond normal. So let's keep going. Verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. It's making it very clear. This is not a normal thing that's going to happen. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Well, that means, that means am I going to have the joy of having a, a son at this age? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will re return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And this is where I, I find it's, it's kind of funny to me a little bit because, because after this, then it says, But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. You know, you know, it's kind of like a guy who falls asleep watching TV on Sunday afternoon. It's like somebody changed the channel. I want to sleep. You know, everybody knows you were. But 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 Sarah's like, I did not laugh for she was afraid. He said, no, you laughed. That's what it says. And that's it's great. It's, she's listening at the tent door. Here's what was said as she chuckles to herself. And God says, Sarah, why'd you laugh? I didn't laugh yet, but you did. Yes, you did. You know, it's just funny to me. And that's the conversation that just happened here. So here we are, 24 years. For, for 24 years, they have waited for a promise given. For 24 years, Abraham and Sarah held a picture in their hearts and their minds of a promise that's given. And after 24 years, both of them now begin to think that the idea is laughable. Okay, so now let's celebrate with, with them. Genesis 21. So Sarah is now 91, which is advanced in years. And Abraham is 100 years old. And, and, uh, and so it's 25 years now since the promise was given. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore, bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac, which means laughter, by the way. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Twenty-five years after the promise was given, 25 years after God gave them the picture in their mind and in their heart of this promise, Isaac is finally born. Now, now can you imagine how they cherished their son? I mean, we all cherish our children. We all uh, look at them as treasures. You know, I mean, if, you, if you're even a halfway decent parent, you, you cherish your children. But can you imagine being at that age and having this promise for 25 years they've held on, for 25 years they believed, even though it was, became laughable, laughable to them. And after 25 years, Isaac is born. The heir that they had longed for, that they had been promised, is finally born. Can you imagine how much they love this boy. Well, this little boy begins to grow. And then God comes to him and to Abraham and basically says, ask him a question. He says, who do you love more? Do you love me 
Or do you love this promise more? So, so here we go to a really, really strange text in Scripture. It's hard for us to understand, but, but it's when understanding what, what it symbolizes, it's God's trying to show us a picture of something that was going to be happening later. But that's not what we're talking about today. But Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son. Now listen to this. Because it's almost like he keeps building on this. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So take your son, tie, tie him to an altar, and gut him until the blood runs off the altar and then burn him. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Now that's, that's the part, that's the line that always gets me. After, that, after God says do that, the next line is, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Which, by the way, right there, we know that Abraham believes somehow God is going to preserve Isaac. Somehow God's going to do a miracle. We know that. I, in fact, when you read Hebrews 11, you'll begin to see that it, that it tells us that, that Abraham believed that if necessary, God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. He had that much trust in God to say, I know this is the son he promised me. I know that he is the heir. He is the one through whom this promise is going to be fulfilled. But, I, but, I, but I, I've got to obey God, so I'm going to do what he says. And he, even if it means God has to raise him from the dead, I know it's going to happen. And, and we see this here. Abraham says to these two men, he's not lying to them. That's his faith speaking when he says, we're going to go over there and worship, and then we'll come back. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. So the sacrifice is carrying his own wood. And he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they both went with them together. And, and they both, uh, and, excuse me, and, and they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Little, little tension, maybe? Uh, just go back to listening to Spotify, son. Abraham said, verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in, in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham raised out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And I'm trying at this moment in this story, I'm trying to get my mind wrapped around how horrifying this moment must be for both of them. I mean... Not just Abraham, but you think Isaac, you know, just jumped up on the altar? I mean, he, he has seen sacrifices before. He has seen what's about to happen. He knows what's about to befall on him. And do you think maybe Abraham had to overpower him? We know that he bound him. I, I can imagine he's not just, Isaac didn't just willingly throw himself up on the altar. Verse 10, then Abraham reached out his knife and took the knife to slaughter his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there behind him there was a ram caught in a thicket by his, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day on the, the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. Now verse 16 here is going to be huge for what happens in Hebrews 6, because we've been talking all this from Genesis. But remember, this is all to talk about Hebrews 6. And this is going to be huge. Verse 16, and he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. By the way, we, we talked about trust earlier that was brought up. Do you know how trust is expressed? Trust is not expressed in just saying the right things. Trust is expressed in obedience. I obey because I trust. Abraham obeyed because he trusted. So, so God makes a promises in Gen, prom, promise in Genesis chapter 12, and it takes 25 years for that to be fulfilled. After it's fulfilled, God then says, do you love the promise more than you love me? And Abraham says, no, you're enough for me. And God says, I swear by myself that what I have promised you will come true. All right, now with all of that in mind, now let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Now remember, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of men and women who are really, really struggling and really having a difficult, difficult time holding fast to the promises of God. They're having a hard time believing and understanding that Jesus' sacrifice was enough for all of them, all of their sins, future as well. So God's going to reference here in Hebrews 6 the story that we just read. So look at Hebrews 6, verse 13. For when God had made a promise to Abraham, now what was the promise? The, that he was going to have a son and that through that son, the whole world would be blessed. For when God had made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. We just read that. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is, is final for confirmation. Now, we've got, a, we've got a cultural chasm happening here because we don't really understand that text, but here's what he's referring to. He says, men swear by something greater than themselves. It's, it, it, it's not by things less than themselves that we swear by, all right? So, for example, you may have heard somebody say something like, I swear by my mother's grave. Well, what, what they're saying by that, they're saying, I'm telling you the truth, and if I'm not telling you the truth, may my mother's grave be desecrated. That's, that, that's what that means, all right? In, in the Old Testament times, if you, if you say, I swear by my family that I'm not lying, and then you end up being a liar, guess who gets killed? Your, your family. So if somebody puts his family on the line, the idea is then you can probably 
you can probably trust them because they're not going to do that, you know, lightly. If somebody puts his family on the line, like if I say, if I say, I swear by my daughter Aaron's name, or I swear by my daughter Gail's life. If you find out that I'm a liar, then my kids get killed. And, and I'm not just going to throw that out there lightly if that's really what's going to happen, right? Not unless I've got some serious issues, right? But, but that would end the dispute because somebody would say, oh, well, hey, you know, he's not going to say that lightly. He must be really serious about this. But here's the thing. When God swears, it puts him in a dilemma. Why is that? Because nothing's greater than him. So, so that's why he swears on himself. It's, it's not like he can go, I, I swear by the, oh, no, I made that. Well, then I swear by, oh, no, I made that too. He can't do that. He, so God says, all right, I swear by myself, meaning if I'm lying, then I am not God. I swear by myself. Now look at verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. He said two unchangeable things, two unchangeable things. It is that he is, set, he is sworn with an oath and that he cannot lie. Those are the two unchangeable things. Verse 19, we have this, 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 this uh, 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 unchangeable thing, this unchangeable nature of his character. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll talk about Melchizedek a little bit more, but here we need to understand this. He says when... God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. We need to understand the heirs of the promise. That's you and me. That's us. The promise came through Abraham to Isaac and then from Isaac to Jacob, then from Jacob all the way down to King David. And from King David, it got passed down all the way down to a little virgin girl named what? Mary. Very good. And, and Mary had a son named Jesus, that's right. Always guess Jesus first when you're in church. You know, you, 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 you may not be right, but you, he had something to do with it, right? So, uh, so Mary has a son named Jesus who then becomes the Savior of the world. He blesses the entire world. He pays for the sins of the entire world. You and I are heirs of that promise. He wants to show us the unchangeable nature of his promise of his purpose that he promised with an oath that the, that the world might be blessed through Jesus. And he makes it very clear he has not changed his mind. He has not changed his plan. He has not changed his purpose. This hope that we have is based on the unchangeable word of God, an oath that he took by himself that says, if this doesn't happen, if this is not true, then I'm not even God. And you know that it's true because I am God and I do not lie. The unchangeable, this unchangeable promise is an anchor for our souls that gives hope. Gives hope. Now let me just, let me bring this all together. You know, Restoration Life Church is a place, we're, we're trying to become a, a place of healing. 
where, where people's lives are transformed. We, we don't want to be a place where you have to wear a mask in order to fit in, where you have to pretend to fit in. We want to be a place where people find healing from the dark places in the soul. Now, we haven't become everything that God wants us to become. We're, we're, we're nowhere near where, where we need to be or where God's going to take us. But, but I know that we're a place that hopes for it. And I mean, I mean we hope for it. Not in, not in the sense of, you know, we use hope like a, well, it may not happen, but I sure hope so. But in the biblical sense of the word hope, you know what the biblical sense of, of the word of hope is? It is a confident expectation. It's like the child who every day has, a, has they know what time daddy comes from home, home from work. And every day that that child around that time of day goes and starts sitting and staring out the door, staring out the window, waiting for daddy. He's hoping for daddy in that moment. Not in the sense that, well, he may not show up, but it's a confident expectation. Daddy's going to come. I know he's going to come. I'm sitting here in hope that I'm going to see him at any moment. That's the idea of hope that we have. And so, but, 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 but we have this hope and it is a, an anchor for us. We hope for this future for this church, but we hope with a sense of confident expectation that we say we know God's going to do it because we believe this is his plan and, he, and this is part of his purpose. But let's be honest, because not just here in the church, but in your life personal. Is it just me or do the promises of God sometimes take longer than we expected? Can I get an amen? I heard of at least one in there out there. Does it ever seem that the healing and the fullness and the intimacy we were promised seem to be coming slowly? Or sometimes it doesn't seem like it's coming at all? Anyone? And you know, historically, the, the way we handle it in the church, we haven't really helped any people because, you know what we do? We, we love the supernatural testimony that, that just a few people have. I love those testimonies. You know, I'm talking about the one where, where some guy walks up on the stage and says, well, I struggled with, you know, drugs and alcoholism and all this stuff back then, back then but, but then I got saved and you know, now I don't even have to read the Bible because I have it all memorized and, you know, and, uh, and all I have to do anymore is look at people and they get saved. And, and, uh, and this is what Jesus does in the lives of those who will surrender to him. You know, and then he walks off the platform. But the problem with those things, we, we rejoice. Those things are wonderful. Those powerful, instantaneous testimonies are great, wonderful things. But the problem is when he walks off the stage, a lot of us are looking at ourselves and saying, oh, dear Lord, what's wrong with me? What, what's maybe, you know, I mean, my story goes nothing like that. What, what has happened to me? What's, what, what's going on? And then we begin to think maybe we're broken or maybe, maybe even worst case scenario, we, we begin to think this just doesn't work for me. It's not working for me. Or, or how about this one? Have you ever had what you thought was that big victory over your secret sin? And, and, you know, the, the one that, the sin that always kind of just beats the trash out of you all the time and you can't seem to ever get any victory over it. And, and you have this, this moment of epiphany and, and you're at the altar and you're sobbing and the spirit is moving and you're down there and you're on your knees on your face before God and you're crying. You say, never again. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Never again. And, and maybe you do a great job with it for six or seven weeks or maybe six or seven months. And then, then out of nowhere, it comes back and it's louder and stronger than ever. Or, or how about you 
thought you let go of all that bitterness and all your anger and your rage and you come up to the altar and you said, oh God, I forgive them. I forgive them. And then the person like 15 days later does something that to you and you're like, oh, I hate him. He's like, oh, no, wait, I, I forgive him. Lord, I, I really did. I really forgive him. All of a sudden, it's just back. I mean, is it, is it just me or do the promises of God seem to sometimes work slower than we were promised in Sunday school? See, when I read the story of Abraham, I try to wrap my head around 25 years. You know, 25 years. And, and you know what? He didn't have the same experience as us. We have, the, we have the Word of God written. We have His the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. He didn't have that. God would just show up every once in a while and, and talk to Him. And, 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 and He'd reiterate this, hey, I said it, uh, this, this covenant, this promise. 25 years. See, the problem is, we're a culture built on speed. And, and you know how I know? Well, like back in Abraham's days, if you, you, you could travel at about the top speed of 10 miles per hour, right? In, in our culture, you get shot on the freeway for going 60 in the left lane. Right? You, you go in the drive-thru, and if your food's not there in, you know, two minutes flat, we're like, what is wrong with these people? I've been here forever. It's been two minutes. Well, it feels like forever. You know, we, we want things done now. We want them fixed now. I've always said, you've heard me say it like this. We're a generation with a popcorn button on a microwave. You know, anybody here remember when you have to, had to stand there and pop it and it took forever? You know, and the kids are standing like, is it popcorn yet? No. You hear any popping? It, that's who we are. We want it all now. And not only do we want it all now, it better not be difficult to get there. You hear what I'm saying? I mean, if, if healing requires me coming clean and being honest and being seen as, as the schmuck that I am, then uh, I'm not interested. I want it easy. I want the big miracle. I want the big moment. Is it just me? Or do the promises of healing and fullness and wholeness seem to come slower than we expected or maybe even were promised by another person? Like, like in my life, I have this great desire to let some things die with me. You know, I have, I have some things in my life. Listen, contrary to proper, popular belief, pastors remain relatively human throughout the entirety of their life. Which means, you know what, I, I deal with things, I struggle with, with, with areas of my life the same way you do. Different areas, I'm sure, probably. But, but I have some things that I really, I have to wrestle with and I struggle with and, 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 and I have to get those lies out of my mind and I have to claim the truth and, and, and I so desperately want those things to go to the grave with me because I don't want my kids to have them. You know what I'm saying? But, but I also know that all I can really do is just keep laying my life down at, Christ, at, at Christ's feet and going, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll just do anything. You, you want me in counseling? I'm there. If you want me to stand in front of people and come clean about everything with which I struggle, I'll do whatever. Just let this go to the ground with me. 
And as adamantly as I, as I want those things, it's amazing to me how quickly some of those things will begin to whisper to me in the middle of the week. Can anybody relate with that? Now, now let me tell you, we're going to close here in a moment. Let me tell you who I'm not talking to and who I am talking to and then we'll finish up. If you come in here every week and you hear us talk about wholeness and healing and right standing before God and all of those things and you have not moved in obedience at all, then I'm not talking to you uh, because in this text, Abraham was absolutely obedient. So, so the hope we're talking about is not there if you're not willing to be obedient. That's just the reality. God says, let's go to Abraham. And he says, okay, all right. I, I don't even know where we're going. This, this is going to make me look like a fool, but let's go. I mean, can you imagine the conversation with his dad? Hey, dad, I, I'm going to take my stuff and jet. Well, where are you going? Well, you know, that's kind of tricky. I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm going that way. I, I'm heading that way. That's, what I, that's where I'm going. And dad's like, well, you know, you're probably going to get killed out there. Uh, yeah, well, maybe. God said he'd keep me safe. Oh, God said he'd keep you safe. Can you imagine that conversation? You ever tried that one on your, on your parents? But, but if you're in here today, you've got all this secret junk and you have not taken action as we have pleaded with you every week to be honest about where you are. And if you're, if you're going, if you're in here and you have not walked in obedience, you haven't done anything about the issues that God has been dealing with you uh, with, the, and you're saying, I, I don't know why I'm not growing. I, and then you're just like, you're right. God's, the promises of God are slow. No, 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 you, you're, you are. You're the slow one in, in that situation, not God. Because you haven't, God's probably, you know, in the background saying, come on, let, let me heal you. Get in here and let's get going. Let's start moving forward. Aren't you tired of this junk yet? But God's probably pleading with you just to drop your junk. So anyway, you're not who I'm talking to today because the hope is not for people who are not willing to be obedient. Abraham was willing to obey. But if you're in here and you're like, I will look like the fool. Pick up the, pick up, let's pack up our stuff and let's go. If you're walking in obedience, not perfect obedience, nobody does, right? But if your heart is there and you're like, I'm trying to deal with these things, Lord. I'm trying to move forward with you. If you're walking in obedience and it still seems so slow to you, then I believe God has a message for you today. God says this, Today to you in Hebrews, he says, I cannot lie. I cannot lie. Don't lose hope. I have not forgotten you. I have not abandoned you. I have not forgotten my promises. Don't Give up. Don't let go. Oh, okay, I, I know it's dark today. I, I know, but don't give up. Oh, okay, I know it's been, it's been three years. Don't give up. I have not forgotten you. Okay, so your dark side is loud today. Don't give up. I have not forgotten you. I promised I would save you. I promised I would see you through this. 
I cannot lie. This knowledge that God cannot lie and that He has promised us salvation, healing, and restoration, it anchors our soul so that no matter how dark the night gets, we will not be tossed about. You tracking with me? And so today, today I, I know what we have in here today. I know people that are watching. I know there's some that are just barely hanging in there. You, you may put a brave face coming into church, but you know, I, 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 the truth is you're just barely hanging in there. I know, I know you're just kind of living from weekend to weekend. You're coming in here and you, you come in, in and you sing and you, you just try to suck in all the fuel that you can, all the energy, all the vitality you can. And then you leave here and, and I know you're, you're going back and when you leave this place, you're going into very difficult situations, really hard places, dealing with, with, with very, very difficult things. You know, my prayer and my hope is that maybe, just maybe, you'll hear enough out of the story of Abraham and God promising by his own name that you'll remember that he won't abandon you. And that will allow you to exhale. To relax in his presence. And trust that the mercies of God are new every morning. See, He doesn't ask you to survive this year. He gives you strength to, strength to survive today. In the morning, you're, you're going to wake up and there are going to be new mercies there. All right, so, so maybe you're hanging in there by just a thread. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what, what hurt is in your heart. I don't know what keeps ha haunting you. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're being obedient or, or if you're walking in disobedience. But I do know that we have this great promise that goes well beyond us, and it goes deeper and longer than most of us can even begin to fathom. It's this promise that God wants to display His wisdom and His power through saving us and through healing us and through sustaining us, that He is going to be glorified by seeing us through these things. And I know there's some of us that haven't arrived at that place yet where we're willing to deal with our stuff. My prayer is that you'll, you'll get to a place where you'll finally be tired enough of the junk in your life to listen to God and do something about it. Today, I especially pray, pray for my friends in here, all my brothers and my sisters whose, whose hearts are just hurting for whatever reason. You're just hurting. And it just, and maybe, maybe it's because you just feel the whole weight of your own failures crushing you. I, I know what happens in that moment that what we, we can... There can be all this self-doubt. We, we can begin to doubt whether or not God can actually forgive again or whether He's still going to love, can love us and, and whether He's going to be able to walk us through this. But, but I, want you to, I want you to look through the Bible and look at so many of the people in the Bible because you read it and, and listen, they mess up over and over and over and over and over again. And, 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 and yet God continues to restore them every time. It's, it's that grace that's on display when 
the prodigal son comes home and the father weeps and he hugs and he throws a robe on him and gives him a ring and, and, and has a feast, kills the fatted calf. It's that grace that's on display. It's that grace that's there for your life. And so I pray for you today. I pray for you that your hope would be restored. He cannot lie. He has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. And he has not left you to make it in your own strength. So I pray that your hope would be restored today. I'm going to pray for us and, and listen, just like we've done in previous weeks. If you, if you need to hang out in here a little while and just kind of rest in the things that we've spoken today, because that's what a lot of us need. We need that rest. That, that rest that comes from trusting Him and being real and dealing with it. But So maybe you just need to sit and, and rest a little bit. Maybe you need to grab a friend and say, man, I need you to pray, pray for me. I need you to sit here for a minute and just pray with me because I'm barely hanging in there and I need somebody to pray with me and help me. Maybe, maybe you just need to sit there and say over and over again to yourself, God cannot lie. God cannot lie. God cannot lie. Maybe that's what you need to do. But, but just let him do whatever he wants to do. Would you bow your head? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men and women. Lord, I just pray that the unbelievable weight of your grace would fall fresh on us. That the unbelievable power of your spirit would fall fresh on us. That you would begin to fill us. God, that you would encourage us, that you begin to give, renew that hope in us. And God, I pray for those who's, who are in here and maybe on the live stream that they feel overwhelmed by baggage and sin. And I pray, God, that you would restore their hope in you. And God, that the story of Abraham, who had to wait 25 years, would encourage us that even at this moment, no matter how long it's been, you, you have not forgotten about us. You have not abandoned us and you deeply love us. You've promised to see us through, and you cannot lie. God, I pray that you remind us that you who began this thing in us, that you promised to be faithful to, to complete it. And so I, I pray that we, like Abraham, would, would patiently wait and obtain the promise. I pray that you would encourage your saints today, Father, that we would just breathe out, we'd just exhale. And we would know that we have not been forgotten. And God, that you teach us to trust you as we walk in obedience, just doing what you say. And that you're with that confidence that you have sworn by yourself and that you cannot lie. That Jesus was promised for our benefit. He died, raised, was raised again, and we have hope because of that promise. With heads bowed and eyes closed, and there's nobody looking around. Listen, I don't know where anybody is because I'm easy to fool. But if there's anybody here, maybe you just say, Pastor Dave, I just want you to pray for me. I'm hurting. I feel like I'm barely hanging on. I've got things going on that maybe nobody else knows. Maybe, maybe some other do, others in the church do, but you're just here and you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. Pray that God would restore my hope. Pray, that, pray for me that God would remind me that he cannot lie, that he's not going to fail me. 
If that's you today and you'd say, for whatever reason you're asking that, would you just, would you just lift your hand right where you are and just say, Pastor, pray for me? Yes, I see that hand. You can put it right back down. Oh, all of, boy, they're just all over the place. Yes, all over the place. You can put it right down. Yes, I see that hand. Anybody else? This has been his message all day long to us. Trust in me. I cannot lie. And I promised I would see you through. Lord, you saw every hand that was raised. I pray, God, you'd do a work deep in their hearts. And that, God, that a, a seed of hope and trust would be replanted in their lives. God, that you would restore their hope today. And that, Lord, that even this week, as we go throughout the week and we go back from this place into situations that may be very difficult, God, I pray that you would just help us to rem remember that your mercies are new every day. When, when we wake up tomorrow morning, God, I pray that you would remind us, I have new mercies for you today. I'm giving you everything you need to, to not just survive the day, but, but to thrive in this day. To, to walk in obedience in this day. And God, I pray you'd help us. Help us to walk and to live in that hope. The hope that we have in Jesus. And we pray this in the strong, powerful name of Jesus. Amen.